Ever wonder what Christianity was like under the apostles? Here's Tony Bosserman to give you a glimpse into original Christianity. Originals are almost always worth more than copies, counterfeits, or forgeries. Take the art world, for instance. An original painting by Monet or Picasso or Rembrandt can fetch millions of dollars at the elite auction art houses like Christie's of New York or Sotheby's of London. So imagine if you'd spend millions of dollars on a painting that you thought was a grand old master's from the 16th or 17th century, only to find out that it was a fake, a fraud, a forgery. How would you feel? Well, you'd feel angry and embarrassed that you were duped out of millions of dollars. And this actually happened back in 2011. Sotheby's of London put a, uh, a painting on the auction block, and it was entitled The Portrait of a Man by Jean van Eyck. And that painting sold for $10 million. But a few months later, its authenticity came into question. So it was returned to Sotheby's of London, who hired a forensic firm to do infrared analysis and x-ray imaging on the painting. They even took the pigment, a little bit of it, out of the painting from the canvas and some of the wood out of the frame to see if the materials were indigenous to the geographic region of the painter. Well, ultimately, the painting was found to be a forgery. So imagine how you would feel in this situation. Of course, we feel bad when we're defrauded or we're deceived. But have you ever asked yourself the question, how genuine is my faith? You know, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.7 that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, will be rewarded in the end. And so there is a genuine faith, isn't there, according to the Apostle Peter. And so most people have never asked themselves how authentic or genuine their faith is. But it's a legitimate question that each and every one of us should ask ourselves from time to time. And many millions have over the last century and come to find that their faith wasn't authentic or genuine. So what makes something authentic or genuine? Well, it comes from the original mold, you know, like a Rolex watch that comes off the assembly line from that original mold so that it becomes one of the most accurate timepieces in the world and people are willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars for one. So again, how about your faith? Have you ever analyzed how genuine it is? How close to the original faith that was given through Jesus Christ to the disciples and the original Christians? Well, let me share with you a quote from history, an historian named Jesse Lyman Hurlbut. He wrote a book entitled Story of the Christian Faith. And he said this, For 50 years after St. Paul's life, a curtain hangs over the church, through which we strive vainly to look. And when at last it rises, about 120 A.D., with the writings of the earliest church fathers, we find a church in many respects very different from that in the days of St. Peter and St. Paul. The services of worship increased in splendor, but were less spiritual and hearty than those of former times. The forms and ceremonies of paganism gradually crept into the worship. Some of the old heathen feasts became a church festival with a change of name and of worship. In about 405 AD, images of saints and martyrs began to appear in the churches, 
at first as memorials, but then in succession, revered, adored, and worshipped. The adoration of the Virgin Mary was substituted for the worship of Venus and Diana. The Lord's Supper became a sacrament in place of the memorial, and the elder evolved from a preacher into a priest. Well, what a strong indictment of the metamorphosis of Christianity away from its original roots and teachings to something that was far, far different, a counterfeit, a forgery. And yet most Christians are not aware of these massive changes that took place really only in 50 years after the death of most of the apostles. Now, if you go to Wikipedia, an article entitled Christianity in the Antinicene Period, it says the second and third centuries saw a sharp divorce of Christianity from its early roots. Divorce? Well, Malachi 2.16, God says he hates divorce. And whether it's divorce, of course, in a marriage between a man and a woman, or divorce in churches, well, God doesn't like it because it's division and it works against his goal of unity. So these are massive changes that have taken place down through the centuries. But what are the roots of Christianity? How would you answer that question? Well, the roots of Christianity, according to your Bible, are in the Jewish faith. That's right, the Old Testament faith. That's what the New Testament faith was built upon. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, that the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So the church is built not just on the New Testament, what the apostles wrote, but also on what the prophets wrote according to your Bible. Listen to this quote from Romans chapter 9, and I encourage you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11, because these three chapters in your Bible talk about our roots, Christianity, being in Jewishness, Israel, Judaism. Listen, it says Israelites, and this is Paul writing, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. So everything that the Christian faith is based upon, again, the covenants, the law, and of course, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of the church, came through the Jewish people. And that's what Paul is building upon here in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. So he goes on to say, I, Paul, say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And yet you know that one of the prominent teachings of the last 18 centuries has been that he did just that, that God cast away his people, the Jews, and they were replaced with Christians. It's called replacement theology. You might know it as supersessionism. And so that doctrine has done more to divide Christians and Jews over the centuries than just about anything else. A lot of people are not familiar with the fact that Martin Luther wrote a book entitled The Jews and Their Lies. And that book was used by Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich to justify some of their treatment of the Jews. So Christianity has not helped the treatment of the Jews down through the centuries. And in fact, after the Holocaust, after World War II, 
1955, actually, the Lutheran denomination formally apologized to the Jewish people for the doctrine of replacement theology. And other churches then followed suit. In fact, the Vatican in 1964 and 5, Vatican II Council, also made an apology over this doctrine. So Paul says, again, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I do not desire, Paul says, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, and yet many Christians are, that uh, you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And again, Christianity has not taken that approach. And uh, Paul also says in chapter 11, you're the branches being grafted into what Israel is, kind of a, a natural olive tree. And we the Gentiles are being grafted in. And so therefore, we as the branches that are being grafted in should not boast against the root. We shouldn't boast against the olive tree that we're becoming a part of. And so the truth, if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, is that God intended for us to be added to his chosen people, not the chosen people to be substituted for. So these are very important things to understand, and a lot of people don't understand them. They haven't heard these things, and yet it's important for us to understand that our roots are in Jewishness and the practices of the law that was recorded some 3,000 years ago. So Romans 9, 10, 11, it's a good read. I hope you take some time to study that and think about it. Because again, what makes something genuine or authentic? Well, it comes from the original mold, and the original mode is Judaism. Now, how many religions did God establish in the Bible? Well, some would say two. Judaism in the Old Testament, Christianity in the New, as if they're somehow contrasting with one another. But the truth is, there's only one religion. God only revealed one religion in the pages of your Bible. And so the basic difference between Judaism as a faith and Christianity is that Christianity recognizes that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and Jews don't, for the most part. But remember what we read, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until we, the fullness of the Gentiles, comes in. So that's God's plan. And later on, God is going to open the hearts and the minds of Jews to understand that Jesus was indeed their promised Messiah. In fact, you read about it in Zechariah chapter 12 that one day when Christ returns and his feet land on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, that the Jewish people are going to look upon him whom they pierced, it says, and they are going to mourn. They're going to mourn as if they lost their firstborn child, it says. And so then their minds will be opened. But for right now, God is working to bring the Gentiles into and among the chosen people, the Jewish people. So again, we don't think about these things because they're not taught in the pulpit. You don't hear them on radio or television. No, this is something that is rarely taught. 
And yet when we understand it, then we understand the basis of the Christian faith. And we understand that the rules, the rituals, the religious practices that we engage in as Christians come from the pages of the Old Testament. Think about this. You know, the New Testament, uh, it says that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. That's in 2 Timothy 3.16. And so what were the Scriptures at the time that that was written? When Paul wrote that, there was no New Testament. No, the Gospels had not yet been compiled. And of course, the epistles were just being written concurrently at that time. So when you think about it, when you understand these things, then the basis of the Christian faith during the time that we read in the book of Acts was the Old Testament. That's all they had. That was Scripture. And again, it forms the foundation. So remember that the church is formed and based upon the writings of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. There's much, much more right after this. No one would deny that a major part of the COVID-19 effect has been to bring an eerie silence over the earth throughout much of 2020. Empty streets, business offices, churches, schools, stadiums and parks, with billions of people sheltering in place, have dramatically lowered the decibel level generated by human beings throughout the world. Another part of the COVID-19 effect has been to greatly curb people's activity levels, resulting in an unparalleled, restful state in cities and countries everywhere. In retrospect, the year 2020 may be dubbed the year the Earth stood still. What most people are not aware of is that this COVID-19 effect was foretold in advance over 2,500 years ago, and it is the first of eight major events to come. It was all revealed by the most accurate political forecaster in the history of mankind. Read Foretold and find out what's coming after the COVID-19 effect. To order your copy of Foretold the COVID-19 effect, visit OriginalChristianityReview.com or find us on Amazon. We've been talking about genuineness of faith. In fact, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.7 that the genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. Now, many of you are originalists when it comes to the Constitution. That is, you believe that the Constitution should be understood and interpreted through the eyes and the intent of the original writers of the Constitution. In fact, our country is divided, isn't it, over a progressive view of the Constitution and an originalist view. But are you an originalist when it comes to your faith, when it comes to the Bible? You know, the Bible is an historic document, and so is it your intent and your goal to understand what the New Testament, what the Old Testament intended to say in the minds of those who wrote it and, of course, those who originally read it. That's original Christianity, going back and trying to determine how the original Christians understood the Bible. So in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 29 to 32, it says, Do not inquire after their God, speaking of the gods of the people around the nation of Israel, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. So revisionism is, again, something that's going on in this country, in the classrooms of America. 
And of course, a lot of parents are upset with the fact that history is being rewritten. The history of the United States, a different picture of the Founding Fathers, the 1619 Project that some of you are probably familiar with. And so parents get angry about revisionism when it comes to history, secular history. But have you ever been upset about revisionism in Christianity? Well, again, most people are not aware of how Christianity was revised down through the centuries. But it was, as we just read. You know, the forms of uh, worship, you know, a lot of pagan uh, practices and rituals were brought in. And, of course, in the 4th century A.D., Christianity went through a major change in which it just completely threw out the Old Testament worship system and substituted it with a new worship system, a system that revolves around Sunday observance, Halloween, Christmas, and Easter, none of which are found in the pages of your Bible. So again, when you're talking about the genuineness of your faith, we should look at and uh, understand and embrace the fact that the original worship system that God set up in Leviticus chapter 23 is what the original Christians practiced. In fact, it's all through the book of Acts. In fact, most Christians are not aware that Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, decided to establish the church to start it out with a bang on the day of Pentecost, a feast, an Old Testament festival. Well, if those festivals were done away with and they were not required by Christians to observe, then why would Jesus Christ have established the church on a Jewish festival? He could have picked his birth, the anniversary of his birth, the anniversary of his death, the anniversary of his resurrection. But he did not. He chose Pentecost. And the Old Testament name of that is the Feast of Firstfruits. And interestingly, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read that the church, one of the titles of the church, is the Church of the Firstborn. Well, that has to do with the fact that God is not calling everyone today, that He is seeking to build firstfruits. That's why there is a first resurrection and a second resurrection. The first resurrection are the firstfruits that He is working with. Judgment has begun on the house of God, according to 1 Peter 4, verse 17. So again, a lot of these things most of you have not heard, or many of you haven't heard them, and you're not aware that the original Christians met together every Sabbath. And of course, the church was founded on a festival. And you read all through the New Testament that the apostles and the original Christians gathered on the Sabbath and on various festivals. So this is the cycle of worship that God wants us on. Remember that Jesus said, those who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and truth. Well, what is truth? Well, it's Genesis to Revelation. So we worship God according to His instruction, not according to the counsels of men that came later. And let me just share with you Jeremiah 6, 16. It says, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Well, many Christians are saying the same thing today. We will not walk in those old festivals and those old rituals and practices of the Jewish faith. Now they want to do something different. In fact, the Catholic Church issued a statement 
at the Council of Nicaea, saying, quote, Christians should not Judaize by observing feasts and fasts. And so this is something that uh, was a human-made decision, and it was born of anti-Semitism because they didn't want to be associated with the Jews. The Jews had made the Roman Empire very upset. You know, they had a couple of major rebellions against the Roman Empire. And so Christians didn't want to be associated with the Jews any longer. So they came up with their own system of worship. Well, again, on what spiritual authority could they do that? You know, if we're interested in the genuine faith of the scriptures, then we've got to get back to the faith and practice, the rules and rituals that are outlined in the pages of your Bible. Jude only has one chapter. Verses 3 and 4 say this, I, Jude, found it necessary to write to you. So the early church, the original Christians, exhorting you to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus. That's a command in your Bible that we are to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Well, who delivered it? Jesus to the disciples who then gave it to the original Christians. And we're to contend for that because already by the time that Jude writes this, there were challenges to the Christian faith and people were coming up with alternatives. Paul writes about Hymenaeus and Philetus who were teaching that the resurrection had already passed. Yeah, they were teaching, according to some uh, theologians who looked into these things, they were teaching that the resurrection is symbolized in someone coming up out of the waters of baptism. Well, that is true, but it's not the resurrection from the dead. And so the Apostle Paul then had to write an entire chapter, you know it as the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to show that there is an actual resurrection, that this body, this mortal body, must be changed from mortal to immortal in the first resurrection, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet when it sounds. And so there are false doctrines that began to develop, different perspectives, counterfeit Christianity, even within a few decades, and the Apostle Paul talks about it in detail in the book of Acts. Now, 1 John 2.24, I like the message version of this. It says, stay with what you heard from the beginning, the original message. In fact, that's where the message version came from, this text. The original message, stay with it. Let it sink into your life, it says. Now, some of you played the game Whispering Down the Lane. It was also known as Chinese whispers, but you get in a circle and you begin to share something with someone to your right or your left and you whisper in their ear and then they pass it on. And of course, it's entertaining because by the time it gets around the circle, it's completely changed. It's been modified. It's been corrupted. And that's part of the fun of it. But you know, it's not fun when it happens to the genuineness of our faith. In other words, think of the effect of not only millions of people who are Christian, but then them passing on from generation to generation their understanding, their version of Christianity. 
And so it gets warped and changed, and history bears that out. Now, if you're a good journalist, you go to the source, right? You don't go to a secondary or third uh, party. Now, you want to go to the source of the story. And we don't see a lot of good journalism in the country today anymore. Everything's been politicized. But a good journalist, that's what he does. And so we as Christians, if we're really interested in getting back to the genuine faith that was once delivered to the saints, well, we got to do our homework. We've got to study. We've got to go back to the source instead of reading 2nd century literature or 15th century literature or even current literature about the Bible. Now, we need to read the Bible itself. That's so important. You know, Christianity is undergoing an originalist revolution. And uh, some of you might be familiar with what is called the Messianic movement in the world. And the Messianic movement goes way back. And at the time that uh, Israel was established, there were actually about 25 Jews in the nation of Israel today. And that these individuals had come to the point that they recognized that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And so they started this Messianic movement. And it has gained steam. And of course, there's a lot of different congregations, over a, a hundred different congregations now in the United States. And so this is an attempt by people to get back to the original faith as it was delivered to the saints. I want to share with you Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29. It says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's a verse that uh, too many Christians haven't really focused in on. You know, again, we're being grafted into this olive tree, which is Israel. They are the root. We're the branches. You know, we're built on the root. They're not built on us. We are being grafted in among them. And so the Apostle Paul talks about a spiritual Jew is someone who is changed inwardly. And isn't that what the New Covenant says? I'm going to write my law on your heart and mind. That's what we read in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. So that covenant, and when you think about the word covenant and the word testament, these are legal terms. And you know, forgery in this country is a felony, and people go to jail for it. What is forgery? Well, it's altering a legal document. People don't think about the Bible as a legal document, but again, it is made up of what? Two testaments and seven major covenants. Again, these are legal terms. And so when God uh, says that we are to become like Him and that we are to read His Word and that we are to assimilate His character and nature, well, that's something that we need to associate with the truth and the covenants. Ephesians 5 verse 26 says that He, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of the water by the Word. In other words, one of the ways that we get back to original Christianity is to be cleansed by the Word of God. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to originalchristianityreview.com. And there, of course, we've compiled some of the notes from this show. 
and you'll be able to hear some past shows. I also do a radio program on KFIA. You can go to KFIA.com on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. and listen to Original Christianity there. You can also see a copy of my book. And remember, if Original Christianity was good enough for Jesus and the disciples, it should be good enough for you and me. Thanks for watching.